Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. The Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, or PAPSA for short, <laughs> passed. Pap smear? Yeah, that's it. Passed in 1992, illegalized most forms of sports betting in America outside of a few states. This covered both in person and online sports books and kept them largely to black markets. Recently, in 2019, this federal ban on sports betting was overturned, and since then, over 30 states in the union have voted to legalize it. So that's why you can't go 30 seconds into a podcast or YouTube video without hearing an ad spot for DraftKings. And hell if I know what the hell a four-leg parlay is. Outside of sports betting, many other forms of betting were allowed to continue on the internet in its early days. One of those being online poker. For years in the early 2000s, as competitive poker took on new life as the World Poker Tournament was televised on ESPN, the rise of real money online poker betting allowed many people to literally build their careers on it, becoming professional online poker players. But I think we can all agree that gambling has always been a shady business, towing the line of what is legal and moral. Online poker companies were no exception to this rule. And today, we ride the river of a company flush with issues, full tilt poker, a full house of criminals, a flop, and a house of cards. Come with us as we lay down the cards as they were dealt and the shady dealings that resulted in full tilt folding on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Sounds like it was a flush. I used that one. Damn. Good luck. My goal was like, I'm going to use all of the poker puns. Did you say full house? Uh-huh. Were you not listening for the past well, 20 seconds, so many, man? There's so many different things. Don't. There's some in the outro, too. So oh. don't, you know, don't steal more, okay? All right. All uh, right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. I'm Kashan. And I'm Nina. And we're here today to talk to you about Full Tilt Poker. First off, thank you to Brenda for submitting this topic to us through our website portal. So that's been two listener-submitted episodes in a row, which we didn't really plan. We just put them together this yep. way. Oops. Uh, but thank you so much for submitting it, Brenda. And if you listening out there, we do listener submitted episodes. Yes, so, we do. And we'll shout you out if we decide to choose your topic. Mm -hmm. And you can submit those like Brenda did by going to our website, whitecollarsredhands.com, and uh, filling out the contact us page there. And, and we we might just do might just do your idea. Hell yeah. Uh, so on to full tilt poker. Is truly an American game. It, Hell yeah. It, it was developed right here in the good old U.S. of A. in the early 19th century. Originally, it was played with five-card hands and a 20-card deck for two people. 20 cards for two people, five-card hands. It gets math. Don't worry about it. Okay. The game is said to have morphed from a French game called Poké 
uh, which isn't it, that that I thought poke was the was the deconstructed sushi in a bowl. Pokey. <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately, though, no poke poke burrito places out here. I can't. Chicago. No, don't. No, fuck off with a pokey burrito. What? I don't want my sushi in a burrito. It's just sushi, but big, dude. It's more. How, how could that be bad? It's a texture thing. But you'd eat sushi. Yeah, it's, it's but not little, big. No, I don't want big sushi. I'm I'm struggling to understand the. You problem don't have now. to understand. It's just okay. A, it's just a. But no, it is it is not pokey. Oh, I want badass burrito. It's poke, uh, which is descended from the German word, uh, pochen, I think, uh, which means to brag. Oh, yeah. That was my bluff. that was my German accent, but I didn't do it very good. Wow. Wait, no, they always do everything like they're they're like gagging. Do it. You know more about that than I do. Like it's like Schweinhund Polken. <laughs> what is Schweinhund? Like Did a pig, a dirty up? pig. Schweinhund Polken. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Das ist gut. Das ist good. Whatever, I don't know. Uh, pretty quickly, the game started using a 52-card deck, as we know today, and eventually morphed into the community card poker games in 1925, like Texas Hold'em, the most common professional variant to date, where players are dealt a two-card hand and share community cards in the center of the table. That's what my cousins and I used to play all the time. That's what they play on the World Poker, or the World Series of Poker as yeah, well. Five, like, the five, main five. event is Texas Hold'em. So... I wish someone would hold me. We aren't we aren't your therapist, Nina. This isn't the place. Uh, now, poker is a staple of casinos, uh, boys' nights, and dog gatherings all across America. What are you talking about dog gathering? You haven't seen that? You know that? You know the, oh, picture, the little of, picture of the dog. The dogs playing poker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come on. I've seen. Uh, it. I don't know the name or who made it, but uh, yeah, you guys get it. If you're watching the video, this is a picture of it. We can do that. Uh, but on the internet, the first free online poker games were played in the late 1990s as PCs started to enter American homes, with the first real money poker games being offered in 1998 on planetpoker.com, which had like a whole virtual lobby experience. Like you came in and had like a had like a butler and he's like, poker is that way. And you go to like a chips counter and it was all like drawn, like animated. Very weird. Nin oh, yeah. 1998 internet is, is it's, interesting it's to go back. It's another world. Yeah, interesting to go back and look at. Uh, Y'all have, have everything so immediately now, you'd have to wait 10 seconds for a picture to load. If you were lucky. Yeah, if you had dial-up. I remember dial-up. Oh, God, we had dial-up until we had dial up until I was in high school. It was so bad. That's rough. Because then so you're bad. Like, not able to do anything. No, we weren't. Yeah, so... Things are a lot, you know, back in my day. Oh, my God. I'm getting, I think I just, I think I broke a hip with this conversation. That's how old that made us seem. Um, at first, the fate of online poker was unsure. People really didn't know if there was going to be a market for it, especially after interest began to die down in a lot of other online businesses after the dot-com bubble popped in 2001. In the aftermath of this, online poker sites tried many tactics to keep bringing people to their homepages, one of which was offering satellite tournaments online, where if you won the satellite tournament, you would win a free entry into a live competition for whatever 
poker tournaments that they were running. And this is how Chris Moneymaker won a $10,000 buy-in to the 2003 World Series of Poker. Is that his real name? Yes, Chris Mo- Okay, I didn't even put this in here, but it's interesting. One of my friends when I was younger, his name, last name Moneymaker, they were related to this guy. No way! Yeah, so uh, I, had a, I had a childhood friend by the name of Moneymaker. And, That's funny. And they were like, oh, we're related to Chris Moneymaker. And when I was 12, I was like, I don't know who that is. Yeah. And researching this, I was like, oh, that's who that is. Oh, that guy. So there you go. And Chris Moneymaker, he won, like I said, that $10,000 buy-in to the 2003 World Series of Poker, which is the titular competition in professional poker, um, usually reserved only for well-known pros. Uh, Like, I think it's invite only for the most part. Uh, This meant that Chris was kind of a sore thumb in the televised competition, as he wasn't a pro, uh, but just an accountant for a restaurant chain, kind of an average Joe Schmo guy. Uh, well, this average Joe would go on to win the main event, which came with a two and a half million dollar prize, all from winning the eighty six dollar online satellite tournament Dang. to gain entry. So this kind of signaled to people all across America that an average person could make it all the way to the highest seat in poker with the low barrier of entry of playing the game online. And this phenomenon was dubbed the moneymaker effect. And it started an online poker boom as everyone and their grandma gravitated to the game. Online play had some advantages to in-person play, even for pros though, as many professional online players would play multiple games at once, which allows larger swings and winnings, uh, but also just more volumes of hand pl- hands played to hone your craft. In addition, it made data collection extremely easy. And with large sample sizes, there was software that you could feed all of the results of all your hands into to determine odds and direct what to do in almost any situation from there on out. So they were like saying you get like dealt like pocket aces in a game and then go to your app and check all of the results of all the games that you were dealt pocket aces in. Interesting. And you could decide how how much to bet and how to proceed from there. So, and yet these people were like freaking savants, like watching them play. There's a uh, like Troy, Troy, Troy savant. Oh my god, SNL really put pushed that guy into <laughs> Troy Savant, mm-hmm. pushed that guy into popularity, huh? Um, no, they weren't wearing little tiny red underwear. Um, they were playing like 12 games of poker at the same time. And I was yeah. like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I could not focus on one. But they do 12 at once and they're betting I'm, real money. I mean, I don't think this would come in as a shock to anyone who's ever listened to this podcast. I'm not very good at games. Just any games? Not any games. Hey, I bet you fucking kill it on that uh, where you got to put the the circular peg through the circular hole. Pegging? No, it's not the called peg pegging. Game. Jesus. The peg game. No, not the peg game either. I'm talking about like you got you have a box with shapes and you got to put the star in the oh, star fuck that and game. the circle in the circle. Is that even a game? The That's a puzzle. To square. Puzzles aren't games. They're hard. Mm. Games are fun. I'm, I'm good at categories. Mm. I'm great at categories. What is a puzzle game then? Riddle me this. Those exist. Mm. Does that break your worldview? Yeah. I'm not bad at Candyland. <laughs> it's a whole game of chance, though. Great. 
Um, which games of chance and games of skill that'll come up later. So hold on to that. Um, so for these reasons, online poker exploded with uh, party poker taking an early lead in America, and they actually IPO'd on the London the London Stock Exchange in two thousand and five. So they were really raking it in. In the wake of the moneymaker effect, another online poker room opened up in two thousand and four under the name of Full Tilt. All I can think of is Tilted Kilt. Is that a bar? It's like a yeah, it's like a bar and restaurant. It's like Hooters, but they're in kilts. Oh. Well, it's not related at all, except for that Full Tilt. Well, kilts are Scottish, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, full Tilt's Irish, so <gasps> that's close. They hate each other, don't they? So I guess it'd be more like full tilt. But uh, yeah, I don't know if they hate they Everyone hates each other everywhere. That's true. Uh, I hate you. I'm going to make a border right here. <laughs> uh, full tilt was opened by a privately owned company, Tiltware LLC, headed by a previous day trader by the name of Ray Batar. Uh, but he went in with 22 other primary owners, most of which were actually well-known professional poker players. Uh, players like Chris Jesus Ferguson, who won six World Series of Poker events in his time and was named Jesus because he just he had a beard and like long hair. Oh, creative. So, yeah. And also, you want to know by looking at him, he's got a PhD in computer science. He- oh, yeah? What do people with PhDs look like, Kashan? Uh, they don't have a beard and long hair and wear cowboy hats and play oh, professional right. poker. All right. It was just, it was interesting. I looked at his Wikipedia page. And I was like, what? <laughs> I've seen PhDs in computer science. That's true. Not a lot of them look like this guy. That's true. Um, Full Tilt also employed the best player at the time, Phil Ivey, known as the Tiger Woods of poker. Probably a nickname you really wouldn't want to go by today. Uh, Ivy was on the original Full Tilt design team and would eventually go on to be inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's called the Tiger Woods of Poker because... He beat his wife? No. Uh, he just kind of looks like Tiger Woods. Oh. I literally think oh, that's Oh, I thought it was because he won a bunch of shit. It could, it's probably that as well because this was also i think at the time like tiger woods was like really popular and good in oh, the yeah. early 2000s right like that's about it yeah so yeah it probably lines up i don't know um, i mean he's like the only golf player i've ever heard of there's that other guy but i would have john to hear his name daly john daly that's the one he was drunk all the time right well yeah the drink in like arnold palmer yeah but like, oh yeah arnold palmer but like so. in like happy gilmore but that's it Happy Gilmore doesn't count. I need you to know that. There's another guy named Phil, I think. Phil Mickelson? Is yes. that his name? Yes. Oh, my God. We are really pulling. I don't know anything about golf, so we're really pulling these. I, I'm not good at putt-putt golf. I got a concussion playing putt-putt golf one time. What the fuck? I tripped over the stopper and slammed my head on the concrete. You got to stop going outside. All right. <laughs> I was just, 12. <laughs> it's too dangerous for you. I was 12. I got to keep this one locked up. Um, the high profile names that Full Tilt had brought in, uh, like Ivy and Jesus Ferguson, uh, among others, were the chief strategy that Full Tilt employed to get people to use their site, uh, claiming that this was the site where you could go to play with and like the pros. 
They also use the connections afforded to them by their professional owners to get lucrative sponsorship deals as televised poker tournaments became a large part of online poker marketing. All of the companies started running their own televised tournaments and splashing their names all over everything and being like, well, you know, if you want to play at home, go here. And Full Tilt did the same thing. And Full Tilt also paid mightily to paste their logo patches onto as many players as they could, shown on ESPN on all of the all of the competitions. Mm. Sometimes paying up to seven figures a year to professional players. Oh, wow. Including to those who partially owned the company. Mm. Just to wear the Full Tilt logo at televised events. I'll wear the Full Tilt logo. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, in there's I'll a- wear little booty shorts that say Full Tilt. I don't I don't think that poker has Full like tilt. I don't think poker has like ring girls like the UFC. Oh. Unfortunately. I'd be great. Actually, you know, they kind of did. It was kind of sleazy, like seeing some of these like early two thousands like poker tournaments tournaments. And oh, they literally God, and they got the eyeliner underneath their eye. They had like like cheerleaders basically like for it where they're like in these really skimpy clothes and they were like hanging off the arms of like the, these old white guys that ran the tournament and owned the company. Gross. So I was like bleach blonde hair. And I was like this is disgusting. Oh, yeah, gross. Uh, we've come uh, uh, far enough that you can tell in like 20 years, okay? That's, that's all, good. That's, that's good. all I'm going to say. But yeah, they were they were like paying out that out the ass for these sponsorships. A lot of money. Um, and these, But these marketing campaigns, they worked uh, for Full Tilt. As just, after just a year of its creation, it was the third largest online poker provider in the country. Oh, wow. Um, and with all these newbies flocking to play with the pros, many pros made a killing playing online as well. Uh, people who had a little bit of skill were raking in like millions of dollars. And many people across the nation who didn't live in the hotbeds of poker, such as LA or Las Vegas, uh, were able to become professional poker players from the comfort of their computer chairs. There is a Amazon Prime documentary about the rise and fall of online poker uh which is i think it's like bet bet tilt fold or something i don't remember sorry i should um but there was one woman that they followed where she just like lived in the middle of fucking nowhere minnesota but she she was making a bunch of money she was an online poker player and she made a lot of money i mean you can make a lot of money i dated a guy that gambled a lot um for a little bit and I mean, he made good money playing poker. If you're he, good he at it, if you're good at it, I guess. Um, I mean, obviously he wasn't playing online like this, but he would go to competitions and stuff. He did pretty well. Yeah. And that being said, even the best of the best, the pros also played online a lot though. I mean, you might as well. Why not? Yeah. Just make more money. Phil Ivy alone from 2007 to 2010 won 18.66 million dollars on full oh my in three years which is probably more than he made from professional tournaments kind Absolutely. of looking at it like if the if the grand prize at the 2003 world series of poker was two and a half million dollars and you're making 19 almost 19 million dollars in three years online of course is he just like fleecing that from a bunch of people that don't really know how to play well, but that's but they kinda, signed up for that, it, I but guess. I, I kind of feel like that's on them, though. I don't really feel like he's taking advantage of them or taking the money. They're all playing fair and square, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. 
they don't like assign i don't think they assign you based on like how good you are that being said there are they started doing these things called like nosebleed rooms um that were actually named after phil ivy that they were like no limit rooms oh, shit. where people were i guess logging on just to watch people play because they were like they had like over seven figures like in pots and stuff like like they're betting like a million dollars like real money but it's on a computer screen and a little fucking virtual wow. poker table you know that's like, alarming honestly yeah so because like this isn't I mean, this is back in the, you know, 90s and early 2000s, like... Yeah, this is like 2005 right now. Okay, so okay, so early 2000s. It's like, was any of this even really being moderated? Probably not. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So, yeah, I guess that that is where, like, the good players played, though. And that's yeah. where Phil Ivey still made his money. Dang. Um this success wasn't only in America, though, as these companies were all incorporated elsewhere. As I mentioned, Full Tilt uh, was operated and headquartered in Ireland. Um, America, however, was still their biggest market. And in 2006, just two years after Full Tilt was created, they would face a serious threat to the future of online poker in America. So enter a guy named Bill Frist. Uh, he was a previous heart and lung surgeon who became a U.S. senator from Tennessee and served as the Republican Senate Majority Leader between 2003 and 2007. Oh, my God. He's like that. But he's like Ben Carson. Just stay a fucking surgeon. Oh, yeah. Get your little hands out of politics. I think there is some merit to being like, we need more than just like people who like professional politicians in politics. Yeah, I get that. But, but when then you're like dinosaurs weren't real, then I'd really don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Basically just don't elect fu like dumb fucks. I think yeah. is, is the, is the merit there is like, well, are right. they fucking dumb? Don't elect them. It also kind of sucks though, that like surgeons, like this person who, who would be taking things out of my body and putting new things in also Doesn't says dumb shit. In and you're like, Oh, that's scary. That is scary. But what's scary is to think that your surgeon comes in hungover. Oh, hopefully not. It happens. Oh, I'm sure they come in drunk sometimes. Scary. Probably. Yeah. Ah, this is getting dark. Uh, <laughs> So he was the Senate Majority Leader between 2003 what? and 2007. Yeah, Bill Frist. As 2006 was rolling along, Bill Frist had the presidency in mind. And something that just got delayed recently due to weather here in our time. In uh, our Midwest. In our actual time. Yes, our Midwest. This uh, week. <laughs> the Iowa caucus was coming up. Caucus. Uh, and this is... For those of you who don't know, the first Republican primary and kind of a litmus test for how the Republican race is going to go for their candidate for president. Mm -hmm. um, and Fristy wanted to uh, show show his stuff before this came around. Um, he wanted to make a splash and appeal to the extreme right crowd that he had found difficult to reach. I think it was more of a moderate uh, one. One of the topics they really cared about was the immorality behind the boom of online gambling games such as poker. There's just so many other issues in this country. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, well, they didn't have to worry about uh, 
you know, gay marriage wasn't legal yet, so they had to be upset about other things. It's true. You know, and abortion, but abortion was alive and well. Oh yeah. In an attempt to reach them, Frist wrote up the Unlawful Internet Gaming Enforcement Act, or from here on out, the UIGEA, which would prohibit gambling bit or which would prohibit gambling businesses from <clears throat> knowingly accepting payments in connection with the participation of another person in a bet or wager that involves the use of the internet and that is unlawful under any federal or state law. Basically, meaning that they were targeting the movement of money from these online gambling sites, uh, both to and from the customer and to, and to banks. Online poker providers thought that they were not subject to this law because they deemed poker to be a skill game, which had an exception in the law. However, and this is getting technical, the U.S. government did deem online gambling illegal in a position written by the Department of Justice in 2002 that said something called the Federal Wire Act covered casino-like gambling online, which before it was only meant to cover sports betting. Okay. So they, like, in a letter to another court, put the opinion that the Wire Act covered online gambling games. Oh, okay. So technically, because of that, these were already illegal. Okay. Since 2002. And the 2006 law, the UIGEA, was basically to a way to enforce it by targeting the movement of money between the companies because they were outside the U.S. The law was passed, but uh, by the way, Bill Frist did it in a pretty shady way. He last minute attached this bill as a runner to something called the Safe, the Safe Port Act, which was a long piece of legislature aimed at improving, you guessed it, port security from terrorist attacks. Uh, Frist added the runner like after midnight, right before the final vote was to commence, leaving no one time to even read what was in it before they passed it. Then when Democrats began to push back, Republicans basically told them, well, if you don't like it, then you can vote against the Safe Port Act and we'll campaign against you saying that you support terrorism. Okay. So it kind of cowed enough people, like like it put them in a position where they couldn't not vote yeah, against the Safe Port Act. Yeah, they basically had to do it. So they were like, well, this is happening. And this threat was enough to ensure the passing of the bill and the UIEGA was canonized into law. Bill Frist, by the way, ended up not really even running in the 2008 presidential primary and left office completely shortly after this bill was signed at the beginning of 2007. Great. Thank you so much, sir. So, yeah, you just kind of like fucked it up and dipped just like my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, you know what? That happens to the best of us. He'll come back with that milk. I believe him. <laughs> I don't even drink milk anymore. I hope he knows that. Say, I, I, switched to, I, I switched to almonds now. So oh. and he's not going to know. He's, gonna he's come not going to know. He's going to come back with hole and I'm going to, where it's going to be awkward all over. And again. then your tummy's going to hurt. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to drink it. You'll get farts. I'm joking. I, I want his approval. Yeah. I was going to say, you so want to be proud of you. So bad. Uh, with the introduction of the UIEGA, online poker companies had a choice stay in the United States and hope that the bill didn't really affect them either through poor enforcement or interpretation or the companies could leave the market completely and continue to provide services to the rest of the world, but lose their most lucrative market. 
The largest player in the U.S., Party Poker, decided on the latter and stopped U.S. operations. This is probably because they were an on they were a publicly traded company, if you'll remember, and had more to lose for its shareholders by playing fast and loose with the U.S. justice system. The runners-up, Poker Stars and Full Tilt, decided that this would be the perfect opportunity to stake their claim, though, as they stayed in the U.S. and started battling it out for more market share. So for the next five years, both of these companies would operate in America in pretty much the same fashion as they had done before, and some legal maneuvering pushed back the date of the of compliance with the UIGEA to June 2010. So they had like a little bit of cushion, but remember that technically they're already illegal and the UIGEA would just give them a reason to enforce it. Uh, banks, because of this, were not so keen at providing them this extra time until the bill kicked in and started moving to not accept any payments that were associated with online gambling, including those from poker sites like Full Tilt. And you may be thinking that these companies are just located outside the U.S., so just use a foreign bank to process the transactions. Yeah. Yeah, you were thinking that, night. I know. I know, I know you were. Oh, well, you know I was. Well, that's also illegal. <laughs> Company- Only if you get caught. Well, mm-hmm. companies need to set up a processing uh, account at a U.S. based bank, so they can't just they can't just do it in Ireland and run all the payments through there. Um, so Full Tilt found it difficult to get money from customers into their account in order, and in order to circumvent this issue, Full Tilt employed some less than legal tactics. Firstly, every time you use your credit card. Based on the type of purchase you're making, there's a transaction code that lets the bank know if you're buying gas, groceries, or a massive love toy from adamandeve.com. Not sponsored, by the way. But if they wanted to. We would take your sponsorship, Adam and Eve. We'll take money. This is a sexy podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we deserve it. I'm on it. Okay. Uh, Put your shirt back on, Nina. This is Patreon material. (laughs) Ah! This transaction code allows your bank to make certain decisions or let you accrue cash back at whatever rate they say you can for different kinds of purchases, right? Some of these codes, though, were for online gambling, which was built into the systems to be automatically rejected. According to the Department of Justice indictment later unsealed, Full Tilt worked with others to change the transaction codes coming from their website to purposefully keep their true nature from the banks and avoid this rejection by sending it through as, I don't know, totally legitimate purchase for a pair of Birkenstocks or some shit. I, I swear. Birkenstocks. Yeah, see? And then the bank was like, all right, this this fucking white lady from the Midwest wants another pair of Birkenstocks. I love my Birkenstocks. So that's fine. We'll pass it. But really, it was for online gambling. They then also created a massive network of shell companies with fake websites to funnel money into their domestic processor and then eventually out to their bank accounts in Ireland. So the ACH payments that were coming from the bank to get to full tilt in Ireland, they would send out to the shell companies and then send it to Full Tilt from there so that they would never... Wow. So okay. th- so Full Tilt never opened an actual bank account with okay. any U.S. bank. 
Okay. All these shell companies did. Okay. And then they funneled the money in that way. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, and this is like from the rip, like from the beginning, because there was always a question, once again, of legality for online poker since that 2002 opinion, two years before Full Tilt even became a company. So they never had a bank account. In addition to this, Full Tilt owners sought out banks that were willing to basically take bribes. They found single branch banks throughout the country that were on like the verge of becoming insolvent and offered them like millions of dollars of investments in their banks in payment for the bank to just process their online gambling transactions. Um, one of these was Sunfirst Bank in Utah, which processed tens of millions of dollars in transactions between 2009 and 2010 alone. It's just a random ass small bank in Utah. They got caught by the FDIC, though, and Full Tilt did the same scheme with two banks right here in Illinois. After being discovered, all of these banks became insolvent, costing American taxpayers around oh, $70 wow. million dollars, uh, wow. from the FDIC. Even worse is that late into 2010, when these methods started drying up to the point that Full Tilt could not find anyone to process their online transactions, they moved on to just like, lying about it to keep operations going so but didn't they know by then what was going on yeah so you mean that even you mean work. the government or like full tilt well like clearly no one's going to process their online transactions yeah so like how are they even able to run so kind of exactly part of it is remember they are still getting real money from outside the u.s like they, they are still okay. operating normally in every other country in the world. Oh, that allows okay, okay, it. okay. Um, those are a lot smaller markets, though. Um, and they also started doing what we're about to talk about. And this is when someone would add money to their account on Full Tilt, their money would never actually make it to Full Tilt. But the funds would still look like they were deposited in those online accounts. So they didn't have the actual ability to process any money between accounts to get to them but if someone went to buy or like buy in money at their account it would show up and they would be able to use these phantom credits to uh, play bet win and lose and basically full tilt stopped operating as a real money poker service in america because no actual but where money. was their money going it just was sitting there yeah that's okay. the other thing i think you could like I don't think anyone caught onto it quick enough, but like, I'm pretty sure your your money just never left your account. But you were still playing, and like, so so if you won so money, if you won, yeah, you'd you'd have money where it would look like there was money in your full tilt account. But if you cashed it out, what would happen? You just wouldn't get it. Money has to come from somewhere else, or yeah, it's if things go really bad, you don't get it. I'm Which, confused. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about how they ran the money okay and it'll make more sense in a okay. little bit then so they yeah like, like i said they started hemorrhaging cash exactly what you were talking about people would ask for buyouts but no money was actually coming in and obviously that i don't you know you don't need to know math to know that that's not going to end very right. well um in november of 2010 they owed customers 344 million dollars but only had 145 million dollars in their bank account and you might wonder though Shouldn't they keep that money in separate accounts and not use it for other purposes like business expenses and paying out other people? And you would be wondering, 
the exact same things that many players were at the time. Because worrying about the security of their funds, many Full Tilt users messaged the company asking how they handled customer funds. And at Ray Bittar, once again, the owner's direction, the company formally responded saying that all players' funds are kept in completely segregated accounts and not used for business expenses. Hmm, that sounds like they're used for business expenses. Well, and here's the Maury moment. The forensics account, the forensic accountants determined, uh, that was a lie. In reality, players' money had been used for routine business expenses, playing those poker players, their sponsorship funds, like we talked about earlier, and most egregiously, to pay the executive salaries and bonuses in an excess of $400 million over the course of like four years. Nothing was segregated. And Full Tilt needed money to process payout requests. A run on the bank of people withdrawing money from Full Tilt would totally expose them. Because of this, they also sent falsified documents to their regulator, routinely saying that they had more cash on hand than they actually did. And it became a real problem towards the beginning of 2011, when an internal projection showed that Full Tilt would be completely out of cash in just a few months. But don't worry, they could still pay themselves profit bonuses of about $10 million a oh, month nice, during that time nice. split amongst the owners. So, you know, they're really good at prioritizing, Yeah. right? All this was leading up to a day that now lives in infamy amongst the proponents of online poker, Black Friday. Not the Thanksgiving one. This was April 15th, 2011. Just happened to be on a Friday, so they call it the Black Friday of poker. It doesn't oh, make sense. Oh, good Friday's Easter. I was like, Black Friday, ooh, that might have been around Black Friday, but no, that's Good Friday. Good Friday's Easter. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was good Black Friday, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you getting cold? Yeah, I'm fucking freezing. Yeah, we have to turn off the heat to be able to record these episodes, and it's like 12 degrees in Chicago. So. I'm fucking cold. So, should have worn more uh, clothes. Yeah, I shouldn't have been in such a harlot. Shouldn't have taken, that sh- taken your shirt off like 10 minutes ago. So, on Black Friday, the poker one, uh, the Department of Justice unsealed an indictment against 11 people, including the owners of three different online poker providers, Poker Stars, Full Tilt, and Sirius, alleging a violation of the UIGEA, along with charges of bank fraud, wire fraud, and money laundering. The Department of Justice seized the online domains of all three sites and shut them down, immediately locking U.S. poker players out of their accounts and out of their funds. Supposedly, at the time it was shut down, high-profile players had like six or seven figure amounts in their online wallets that were immediately not accessible. Oh my God. Uh, one of the Damn. La- one that lady from Minnesota that I had mentioned in the documentary, she said she had 95% of her net worth in her account at full time. So <laughs> the next shot of her was her like working at what it wasn't a Buffalo wild wings, but it was like the same vibe. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, that's rough. So yeah, everyone was locked out. However, the domains were given back shortly afterwards, like I think less than a week later, but only to service countries outside the U.S. They basically said, okay, we won't do anything in the U.S. if you just give us back the domains. Immediately, players started demanding their funds back. And just two weeks later, players at PokerStars were happy to learn that the site would start processing full cash outs to U.S. customers. 
Full Tilt, on the other hand, still had their liquidity issues, now worse than ever, and would never actually return any funds of their own accord to U.S.-based customers. In the meantime, people from elsewhere in the globe were also asking Full Tilt for their money back in response to the legal action in the U.S. The run on the bank had finally come, and Full Tilt found itself with less than $5 million in its account. Still owed that $390 million, by the Whoa. way. Still owed $390 million to U.S. people. They had less than $5 million in their account, and they essentially started taking money from new deposits and were funneling it into paying withdrawal requests, running the entire business as a Ponzi scheme, which the U.S. indictment was later amended with charges to reflect this. So that's to answer your question. When they had money, no money coming in, but money coming out, that's how they did it. They got people who deposited new amounts and used that to pay off the withdrawal requests. So it was basically a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Damn. Okay, but the people who were participating in this knew it was illegal, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, they had to know. that. Literally, Ray Batar was the one who was saying all these accounts are segregated. He knew that wasn't true. Mm. He was the one who directed these people to change the transaction codes, to uh, set up the shell companies. Like, they obviously operated this as it being like, we know this is illegal and we're just going to try to do everything to cover our tracks. Yeah. To keep it going for as long as possible. Um, although all three companies did the changing of transaction codes and bribing banks, they all did that. It seems that only Full Tilt had this kind of extra layer of commingling player funds, which is what caused them to also lose their license in Ireland, effectively oh, wow. completely shutting down the site. Their regulator was like, hey, you're, you've been lying to us. We're just going to take away your license. You can't do this anymore. And Ray Batar surrendered to authorities in July 2012. Originally, he pled not guilty, as they usually do, but he reached a plea deal about a year later that saw him get off with time served and a forfeiture of most of his assets because he had made the case that he was close to death and in desperate need of a heart transplant. Why do I feel like that's not true? Well, he was supposed to be penniless and dying, but just a couple of years later, Batar was marrying a new wife with a $2 million engagement ring and driving a luxury car. He had lost weight, so no clue if he was actually like going through something and lost the weight and got healthier or was faking it. But if you needed a heart transplant... I don't know if you're getting better. Yeah, I don't know either. And as far as I could tell, he's still alive like today. So And he's in the U.S.? Where's he at? Yeah, well, he was in Ireland. I think he got married in the U.S. though. Okay. And he was the only full-tilt executive or owner to ever serve prison time. Mm. Many of the 11 originally indicted were convicted, and all civil litigation was settled in 2012 when the companies agreed to pay over $700 million. And part of the agreement was that poker stars would actually take control of full-tilt and pay off their outstanding debts to customers outside the U.S., which they did. Um just a portion of the $390 million they owed. It was like $140 million was to people outside the U.S., so they paid that. Uh, the government took responsibility for all outstanding debts to U.S. customers, and although it took them a few years until 2014, 
they did start paying off the about $150 million in debt, but they stopped payments a few years later after only returning $114 million, so they didn't return all of it. Full Tilt was relaunched by Poker Stars and operated under that name until the two became one in beautiful poker matrimony in 2016, when the Full Tilt brand was retired forever. In the end of 2011, the federal courts overturned their opinion that the Wire Act covered anything except for sports betting, further complicating the issue with some people saying to this day that the way the laws were written, online poker should have should have should never have been and still isn't illegal. However, only 6 states have fully legalized online poker and it is still not formally allowed anywhere else in the US. I don't know how I feel about it. About online poker? I mean, whatever. I don't really care. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, go for it, dude. And some people are like gambling addicts. Some people are alcoholics. Yeah. Prohibition didn't work. Right. Right. So it's like we should just. I don't know. I think it's fine. Make it legal and monitor it. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. And honestly, that does make this week a little weird. You could definitely have the opinion that the Department of Justice kind of missed the mark with their prosecution of online poker sites. The laws seemed ambiguous at best and enacted mostly to push an agenda that a majority of the country didn't really agree with. I don't think most people supported banning online betting, but they did it because Mm -hmm. they were trying to appeal to a very small amount of far-right people. Well, and like I said... A lot of them didn't agree with it, besides those far right that found gambling almost as immoral as being homosexual in the early 2000s. Either way, I think what is undeniable is that Full Tilt Poker was at least a bad actor that was exposed from it. It was a gambling company not run by people who had any actual business experience, but by a ragtag band of professional players led by Jesus. How could you not expect them to push in all their chips and steal from the pot when they had a chance. Well, there you have it. We gave it to you straight. Full tilt, poker stars and serious were three of a kind in the eyes of the law. Flush with criminals willing to defraud the government to keep their racket going. Raising the stakes, which the Department of Justice was ready to call. But it's time to cash in because I'm running out of poker wordplay. So thank you for listening. And that's it. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. That's the story of uh, Fool Tilt Poker. There's a lot more behind kind of the rise and fall of poker. And even more, if you want to get into sports betting, I opened up like multiple articles about the history of sports betting in America. Because I'm not going to lie, it is annoying. I'm a sports fan, and I hate seeing all of these like betting advertisements every time I consume any piece of sports media. Well, I'll tell you what, it gets super fucking annoying because I work at a restaurant where I work with a lot of people who are addicted to gambling and there are a lot of times like they should be doing their jobs and they're on their app checking whatever. So yeah, it's annoying. So, I mean, I get it a little bit, but uh, we'll see. I don't know. If people want to play poker online, I say whatever. I don't care. But uh, thank you again to... What was her name? I don't know. Brenda. Thank you again to Brenda for uh, suggesting this episode this week. 
Um, and once again, if you like what you heard and you want to suggest an episode, you can do that by uh, going to our website, as I mentioned earlier, whitecollarsredhands.com, or you can go to any of our socials. That's facebook.com uh, slash whitecollarsredhands, Instagram at whitecollars underscore redhands, X at whitecollarspod. Um, you can also follow our TikTok. Uh, that's whitecollarsredhands as well. Surprise. Uh, if you want to support us, even further, and you like what you heard, you want to leave a review or a rating? Oh, man, we love a five-star rating. Those are available on Apple Podcasts. That's where most of you are listening, if our analytics work correctly. Or you can leave one on Spotify as well. You can check our video podcast there on Spotify or on YouTube. Comment, uh, interact with us there. We also have a YouTube. Yeah, YouTube at White Collars Red Hands or YouTube.com slash White Collars Red Hands. I don't know. Google it. You'll find it. Um so tell a friend you can do that yeah you can tell a friend huh you can uh <laughs> you can write it uh on a thousand little pieces of paper and put them in bottles and throw them into the ocean you if you that. if you so choose you, you can even put a qr code on there like we have technology now guys okay so if you're sending out messages messages in a bottle uh that are just handwritten it's 2024 okay so why don't you get some qr codes some links in there put a usb who cares um, I no, I feel like I'm missing. Oh, you can write. I never, I didn't finish. You got You can write a review. You can write actual words if you want to do that on an Apple podcast. So feel free, like, subscribe, follow on whatever podcasting service that you choose to listen to. Uh, listen to us in this very long outro right now. Any pieces of advice, Snina, for for our listeners? Um, you know, just follow your dreams. Do your best, pay your taxes, pay your bills, make money, fuck bitches. There you go. You had it here, guys. Uh, make money, fuck bitches. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of White Collars, Red Hands. And we'll see you next week on another episode. Fuck. Whatever. We're just going to say it a lot. Another week, another episode, White Collars, Red, red Hands. hands. <laughs>